Hi, I'm Joel Garcia. Welcome to the Pop Culture Shuffle. On today's show, it's all superheroes. First up, a review of a Superman movie which came out this year. Here's a hint. It's from Mark Miller. Then, I play a short snippet from my radio show where I talk about Avengers Endgame. And finally, a sneak peek of next week's episode. But first, let's talk about Superman. Now, a film you probably did not see because it came out just as the pandemic began was a Superman film which is a little different. Superman Red Sun. Now, if you've never heard of Superman Red Sun, you're probably more aware of its writer, Mark Miller. Back in 2003, Mark Miller, who was well known for Kick-Ass, Kingsman the Secret Service, and many other bad comics, wrote an Elseworlds story, basically an alternate universe story featuring Superman, in which instead of crashing into Smallville and being raised by the Kents, he crashed into the Soviet Union. Instead of fighting for true justice in the American way, he fought for Soviet Russia. The comic has become very popular ever since it came out, not only being one of the more successful releases, but also garnering a lot of adaptations. You can see it in almost every piece of Superman production since the comic came out. The CW Supergirl series even had an arc featuring a Russian version of Supergirl. In 2009, Warner Brothers made a motion comic adaptation, which was okay. Although interestingly, one of the voice actors from that motion comic actually came back for the 2020 film. Jim Meskimen, for those who were wondering. As for the film itself, it centers around Superman growing up in the Soviet Union and taking over control of the Soviet Union. At the same time, his traditional rival, Lex Luthor, is slowly gaining power and eventually becomes the President of the United States. Insert political commentary here. When it comes to the film, there's a lot of things to really appreciate about it. It's surprising that it took them this long to adapt Superman Red Sun into a movie, considering the comic's popularity, as well as the name attached to the comic, Mark Miller. Because Miller has, since the years after the comic's release, become a very popular and prominent name. But again, the aforementioned Kick-Ass and Kingsman becoming some of his more successful film adaptations. With Superman Red Sun, having seen the motion comic, which is a faithful adaptation of the story, albeit with limited animation and a bit of inconsistent voice acting, it's interesting how far the movie deviates from the comic. The comic itself is a relatively long story. There are a lot of characters in it, some of which are attached to real-world political figures, such as John F. Kennedy, Joseph Stalin, but for the most part, it goes its own way. It barely features any real-world political figures, the only exceptions being the aforementioned Kennedy, Stalin, and President Eisenhower. And for the most part, it tries to present the very interesting question of what if Superman came from Soviet Russia? And it does a good job at it, even if it does go a little bit ridiculous at some points. It does adapt a lot of major moments from the comic, but it is not a very faithful adaptation. The first problem is it omits a lot of characters. There are a lot of characters in the comic which were really good and had a huge impact on the storyline. There's one character who's based on an actual Superman character called Piotr Roslov, who is based on the Superman character Pete Ross, and in the comic was implied to have killed the Russian Batman's parents. Yeah, there's a Russian Batman, we'll get to that in a minute. 
but in the film, he's nowhere to be seen. And in fact, almost all of his contributions are either omitted or given to another character. And then there's Lana, a character that is based on Lana Lang, Superman's childhood friend. Her role is heavily reduced in the movie. In the comic, Superman sees her in a bread line with her children and does serves to motivate him to become their leader. Whereas in the movie, she's still the childhood friend, but she dies early on in the film and still serves as a motivation, but she dies in Superman's arms having been in the gulag. The weirdest part was how they reduced Stalin's role, where he's just a minor antagonist to Superman, and in the comic, he gets to live a long life, and eventually, Superman decides to replace him once he passes away. Whereas in the movie, he outright kills him. Which is debatable not to historical accuracy, but let's face it, this is a Superman movie. And then there are other things which really worked in the comic that strangely don't work in the movie. Such as the fight between Superman and his American clone, which is a whole lot to bring up. Now in both the comic and movie, at one point Lex Luthor makes an Americanized Superman clone. And in both cases, he's supposed to be this stereotypical American being. But it's different in both adaptations. In the comic, he is basically Bizarro. That's it, he's just Bizarro. But in the movie, he doesn't start off as Bizarro, but starts off more as a parody of the then-American culture in the 50s, with a few not-so-subtle references to real-world political events. For example, the first thing he says is, America first. And I'll leave it at that. And he shouts out a lot of periodical lines about Superman. He's true justice in the American way. And how he came to liberate these people. While he is at the same time destroying everything. And the problem is that with the scene. It makes sense in context. But it really downplays the fight. Because in the comic. Superman and the clone were fighting in London. Whereas in the movie. Instead of fighting in a populated London. Where Superman could tell the clone you're killing more people. They fight in an icy tundra. Which is kind of lame compared to the fight in the comic. The film's least altered moment is the confrontation between Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. The only major change was how in the comics, Piotr gave Batman the lights that were weakening Superman, but in the movie, it was Lex. The film made other alterations, which of our debatable quality, whether they improve the film or degrade the film. Since the comic starts right as America finds out about Superman. But in the movie, it starts off with a brief opening where we see Fitlana and Superman as kids. Which was not in the comic and is really appreciated. Another change, which was not a big deal, was of Star Labs. Where in the comic, it was a place that Lex was working at. Whereas in the movie, it's been renamed the Luther Corporation. Another change, which really got a lot of people mad for some reason when it came out, was of Jimmy Olsen, where instead of being portrayed as the normal Jimmy Olsen, he was portrayed as an African-American, similar to his portrayal in Supergirl, which is frankly not a big deal. He's not even a major character, so that was something people got mad about, but that's something I want to acknowledge. However, where the film makes its biggest alteration, and the one that really angered a lot of fans, was the ending. Now, I will admit this. The ending in the comic was really, really bad. The film and comic have very similar climaxes. They both end with Superman destroying Brainiac. That is where they start to deviate. 
In the comic, Lex continues to stay president and through a series of years and events manages to make a one world nation and dies after having successfully resolved world peace, among other things. The comic then fast forwards generations later, which essentially reveals that Superman was a descendant of Luthor, sent from Earth because in the future it was destroyed in a way reminiscent of Krypton. In the movie, that doesn't happen. Luthor resigns, Jimmy Olsen becomes president, and the film ends with the revelation that Superman is alive, but now he's hiding in a secret identity. It is possibly the most confusing part of the film, since the comic book tries to like create a paradox. Within the comic, it is a bizarre ending, which creates not only a time paradox, but also a plot hole involving the red sunlights. If you knew nothing about Superman before reading the comic, you'd be confused as to why the red sunlights hurt him in the present, but not the future to the great 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 descendants of Lex Luthor. The film also never reveals where he came from, so you're just left to assume he came from Krypton, but just didn't show that part. The film itself is a mixed mess. The animation is weirdly inconsistent. All of the action pieces look great, but then there are moments where they're not fighting and are just talking, where the animation suddenly becomes very rigid and stiff, where the only movement is of their lips. And then there are a few animation errors which just look bizarre, such as one scene where Batman fakes it falling down a building, and when the cops go to get him, you can see for a split second the body already there, but then it disappears when they take it out. It is really weird to see how cheap Warner Bros. was on this particular film, especially considering the brand name of Superman. A major positive which makes the film worth watching is the voice acting. Jason Isaacs is really good as a Russian Superman, not only with his accent, but also portraying him as someone who wants to follow the communist way, but at the same time, like his normal counterpart, refuse to let anyone die. Diedrich Bader is also in this film, and he plays Lex Luthor, although his Luthor sounds a lot more like a laid-back Batman. And yes, he was Batman in The Brave and the Bold, but it really doesn't help the case that he sounds a lot like a laid-back Bruce Wayne. To conclude, Superman Red Sun is a good adaptation. It retains several of the comic's memorable moments, but the original plot is either condensed or omitted because it needs to fit within a limited runtime of 82 minutes. The animation is shockingly inconsistent for a Warner Bros. production, but the voice acting stands out and saves the film from being unwatchable. I should quickly note the Motion Comic series, which is available to watch right now on YouTube, and if you can find it, I think there's a rare DVD copy available from WB Shop. The Motion Comic series, which is of the same name, is a word-for-word -word adaptation because it uses the original artwork and dialogue. It's relatively short, the artwork is extremely limited because it's just the panels, and the voice acting is mediocre because you have five voice actors playing all of the roles. And while some of them are able to differentiate between characters, it's really obvious. I can only recommend Superman Red Sun if you're a fan of either Mark Miller, the original comic, or Superman. Otherwise, just wait until it's available to stream on HBO Max, or if it's on sale. Superman Red Sun is available to own on 4K, Blu-ray, DVD, and digital. The complete motion comic series is also be able to own on DVD and digital, but as of this broadcast, can also be streamed for free on YouTube.
Let's move on to a snippet from my radio show. Last year, I bought the Avengers Endgame Blu-ray. And the same week I picked it up, I decided to spend a few minutes talking about the movie. In this segment originally broadcast on August 19, 2019, I talked about Avengers Endgame. I'm surprised at how many people have said this film was terrible. Like, here's the thing. This film is now the number one box office hit of all time, so... It, it kind of is, sounds disingenuous, people say that, but at the other hand, people, they complain about other films that were number one for years. I mean, I will admit that way back when it first came out, I thought Titanic was boring. But now I actually like the film, and in fact, bought the Blu-ray when it came out. And with Avatar, I did not like the film, and other people have since admitted they do not like the film. For the most part, it was just simply because they want to see the visuals. Because that's what it was. Avatar was just basically a tech demo. Which failed miserably because, let's think about it. What was the last time any 3D, any movie came out and anyone said the 3D was good? But, and people were, were already hating on Avengers Endgame because it was doing this desperate push to get number one. Ignoring the fact that Avatar did something similar when it was trying to beat Titanic. So, I will say that about the whole thing. Was it idiotic, the way that Marvel did this? Kind of. I mean, the things they added to, to the re-release for Endgame were not that impressive, I have to admit. Because I, 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 I only heard it secondhand, and I, and I looked up online what, what they changed, and it wasn't even that much. At best, the only thing they added were a tribute, which many people said should have been in this film and not Captain Marvel, ignoring the fact that Captain Marvel was the first one that came out right after his passing by Marvel. And the deleted scene, that was actually pretty good. And people said the visuals were terrible, ignoring the fact that, again, this was a deleted scene that wasn't finished. So, of course, it would look terrible. Why, why are you going to spend money to improve a scene that wasn't even going to be used in the film? And I will admit there were a lot of things they could have done better. Like, they could have added more content, either before or after the film. Like, say, and like even more deleted scenes. Because uh, I've seen the lead scenes for Avengers Endgame on the Blu-ray, and they're really good scenes. Like one where, Ro where Rocket, the raccoon, mocks the Avengers uh, over their first fight. And there were a lot of things they could have added in, but ignoring the fact, again, this was a film that was already three hours long, so they probably didn't want to add, like, another half hour to this film, which is already the longest film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And there were a lot of things people complained about that I look up now. Like, one of the bigger complaints besides Captain Marvel, who I will say is a great character, and quite possibly become already one of my favorite characters in, in the MCU, was how the Hulk was barely used. Which is something I really have to disagree. People complained about how the Hulk wasn't useful, or how he wasn't mean in, in the Hulk smash. Yeah, but the problem is that they completely ignore that he's changed. As the film shows, in the five years between Infinity War and Endgame, everybody changed in, in a different way. Some became ruthless, some became just tired, some uh, others got a haircut. Like, everybody changed. And in the case of the Hulk, well, he and Bruce found a compromise and became Professor Hulk. And people complained, but why didn't Hulk get his revenge on Thanos? And here I say... He didn't need to get his revenge on Thanos. 
There were other things happening around him that he could do. And also, he mellowed out. He relaxed himself. He wasn't the, the same old Hulk anymore. So I honestly understand people complain about that. Like, it actually helped him grow as a character. He wasn't Hulk smash all the time. And to me, that was a good thing. Because if you're going to have the same character do the same over and over and over again, it's not going to be interesting. At some point, it's going to get boring and dull to watch. It's like with, say, your favorite music band, and they change the mu- the tone every album. And people saying, like, why can't they be the same album over and over again? Because that would get dull and boring. I mean, if you want a good comparison, say Linkin Park. Linkin Park is like the Hulk. They were in the same tone for years, then they changed it up, and it got better and better. And then when they strayed too far, people were saying, oh, no, it's terrible. And... That's to me a good comparison. To me, the way they changed the host character worked, and this is this is honestly the best way they could do that because, for those unaware, Disney can never do a Hulk movie because Universal still owns the rights to the first that refusal. Meaning, if Disney ever wanted to make a Hulk movie, they had to first go ask Universal. They can make the movie, but they have to make, but Universal has to re- release it. So. Yeah, they're not going to give a, a free movie to NBC any day now. So, Avengers Endgame, of course, came out this past Tuesday. And the surprising thing to me was they included a second disc, a bonus disc. The reason that surprised me, normally Disney's Blu-ray releases of Marvel films do not include a second disc. In fact, if you look at some of the more recent re-releases of Iron Man and Iron Man 2... They seem to not include the bonus disc anymore. And I find it really weird and a a bit disappointing. Because here's the thing. The first two Iron Man films had an additional Blu-ray with all the bonus features. Same thing with the X-Men films from Fox that for many years had a second disc as a bonus feature. In fact, if you open up some of the movies in the single disc, you'll see it says Disc 1. So, it is kind of weird they're not including the second disc. Is it because they just don't want to do it anymore? Is it just because it's cheaper to include the movie itself? I don't know. It, it's, it's very disappointing because some people actually like watching bonus features. And it is disappointing to see how movie studios aren't putting the bonus features anymore. Or even when they do release a Blu-ray, they don't include any bonus features at all. Disney Movie Club. But... Still, it is surprising to include a bonus disc, and I've only looked at it a bit, but it includes a lot of content, including the deleted scenes I've talked about, and a few more other details. So, I will say this about Avengers Endgame. It is a great film, it deserves to be number one at the box office, and now some might say, but Gone with the Wind is number one by inflation? Yeah, but nobody cares. So... Those are my thoughts on Avengers Endgame's release. The movie is, again, available out now on Blu-ray, DVD, and 4Kilter HD. Or, if you no longer own a physical media, it's also on digital. Finally, I want to end the episode with a special preview of next week's episode. Let's just say it involves a movie. There were a few funny lines. The problem is... I found them funnier out of the film. Such as? Like a joke about fetching, which I actually found funnier when former President Obama did it with his dog. Okay. And like, there were some in this film that I liked. Like the one about where they're talking to Lindsay Lohan's character. I, I don't, 
I forgot her name. I don't care to look it up. Where they ask her, like, how come she's from Africa and why is she white? And, like, that one wasn't really funny. That one was, like, that, it's a race joke, but it works in that scene. Right. I think we're hitting upon a larger issue, and that is, are you able to enjoy, not you, but a person, is a person able to enjoy a movie that they can't relate to? How important is that to actually enjoying a movie? I mean, well, they need ever... to make it relatable. That's the thing. Next week, I talk about the Lindsay Lohan magnum opus, Mean Girls. And that is all the time we have for today's show. If you would like to know when the next episode comes out, remember to follow or subscribe to our podcast on your favorite audio streaming service. You can also follow me on Twitter at Mr. Joel Garcia 9 Until next time, thank you for listening. <laughs>